Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Atlanta Business Radio, spotlighting the city's best businesses and the people who lead them. Lee Cantor here with Stone Payton, another episode of ATDC Radio, and this is going to be a fun one. There are so many things that I love about ATDC, this facility, the people, the passion, what they're trying to accomplish, but among them, the fact that Waffle House is right across, the, across street. the street. And we got here early mm-hmm. enough to do that. So it was good foundation because this is going to be an important and busy day right out of the box here on ATDC Radio this morning. Please join me in welcoming back to the Business Radio X microphone with Remedy, Miss Lucy Ide. How are you? I'm great. It's great to be here. Well, Lucy, uh, we chatted a while ago, and things have changed, right? Growth of the company, things have been moving? Yeah, we're growing and expanding the business, so it's all good. So what's new in Remedy? So maybe the last time we spoke, I probably talked about our focus on diabetes management. Right, that was the kind of at the heart of Remedy at the time. Yeah, and that's really where we got started. And then we have expanded um, our medical focus more broadly to um, the sort of general category of cardiometabolic diseases. And what that means is, you know, diabetes, heart disease, fatty liver disease now, but um, a lot of diseases that are tied to obesity. So it, obesity is at the heart of all of them? You know, it's a, it's an underlying factor in all of those, and cardiovascular outcomes like heart attack and stroke are sort of the outcome of all of these diseases. And then where does Remedy fit into this? We really fit into trying to identify patients at risk for these diseases and help optimize the management of these diseases. So from actually identifying them? Helping practices, we work mostly um, with healthcare systems, if you remember, and making sure that they're identifying all of their patients who are at risk and maybe haven't been diagnosed or who have these diseases and that they're getting the best treatment uh, for their needs. And then Remedy comes into play in helping that patient manage the disease or it helps the um, medical center identify them only? Uh, yeah, so we really bridge both worlds, right. right, of how do we sort of across the board from diagnosis and clinical management all the way over to how people live with these diseases day to day and get educated about them and do what they can do in their own life to help um, optimize their outcomes. So now, who'd you bring with you? So today, I'm really excited. I brought with me uh, Dr. Heval Kelly. Heval is a cardiology fellow at Emory and is one of our advisory board members. So welcome. Thank you very much. Pleasure so you got to lean in there, Haval. Don't let the microphone scare you. Uh, sure, sure. Sounds <laughs> good. So uh, tell us about you. How were you? Um, how'd you get involved with Remedy? Uh, it was a few years ago. I was uh, kind of getting frustrated with how medical care is managed in a very old school way, like you know, still using paper and and every every paper. In- <laughs> is that true? Paper and still mm-hmm. using like very elementary like technology to manage patient. Basically, mm-hmm. just try and extract data and manage it, and not let the computer and technology do a lot of the work for you. If you look at every industry, the airline and pharmaceutical, everyone's using technology to find numbers and address this issue. But medicine has been always behind doing this. And I kind of mentioned to one of the attending in the VA who was an endocrinologist. I was like, you know. I'm really interested in doing more about health, but can I find someone who's innovative and open-minded? Uh, so he's like, you know, I know this one former medical student who you think you should talk to. So we met for coffee, me and Lucy, I think it was two and a half years ago, and 
we became good friends and not only we became good at like working together and finding ways to bridge the gap between clinical practice and technology. Also, she's been very involved in the community and underserved community as her. Mm -hmm. So that's has been a good relationship between. Now, what was your background uh, to become a doctor? Uh, you mean like from like my story? Oh, I came here as a refugee, you know, kind of lived in a very poor neighborhood in Clarkston, washed dishes, kind of observed the whole spectrum of underserved care. So Clarkson's a big refugee mm -hmm. community. Yeah. And you were one of the kids mm -hmm. that grew up there? Well, I was like 17, 18 when I got here. went to high school mm -hmm. and went to Georgia State after that. And then Morehouse Med School and then Emory Residency and Emory Cardiology. So I kind of circled the whole Atlanta district, you know, had an experience <laughs> like the poor patient don't speak English to the poor American who speak English who go and get good care so and finding the challenges and then uh, where does where do you see remedy fitting in as part of the solution i mean you know like i tell my 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 attending i was like we underestimate patient you know i was like my mom doesn't speak english but she could use whatsapp and viper to call her family <laughs> and figure out how to do free <laughs> she knows enough technology about exactly. to figure that out and you know my dad now manages all his finances on a wells fargo app mm -hmm. so how can we not think the patient could manage the health through their phone? And I think we as physicians don't have that kind of ability to tell patient, well, here's an app, figure out, use your health, and let us know if you need our help. Let it guide you through this. Mm -hmm. It's interesting, though. So now, um, what is the challenge, though, when you have this kind of technology in, in it's a startup relatively, right, Lucy? You still sure. consider yourself a startup, or you're small a, company, small, small company. business. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, how do you kind of get the patient comfortable with the tech? Are, are they hungry for the technology? I would think they would be. I think a lot of the the, the apps or the startup are built up on focusing serving the patient first, mm -hmm. not the physician. And so that's the patient like, likes that physician not so much? Well, because it adds more work to the patient, the physician who doesn't have much time at all. Right. So technology has to, I think, first serve the physician to make sure he has more time to manage the patient in order to get the patient engaged and to manage the health. Mm -hmm. And I notice everyone, like, I mean, a lot of people come from tech and a lot of places, oh, I have this great app. And then I'll have you talked to a physician? Oh, no, I talked to the patient. I'm like, well... Your customer here is primarily the physician because mm -hmm. once you add an extra work to the p physician, then the f app will fail at primary stage. Because right. then we have to manage, we have to make decisions. So, what I like about Remedy is provides more input to the physician to provide more better care for the patient, for the patient to be more engaged. So now, are the physicians open? If the, if you can eliminate some of the work or make their life easier, are they open to kind of a new technology? Of course. I mean, we still have to give you an example for risk score stratification. When we have a patient to put them on a statin or other medication for cholesterol, we have to use the scoring system by the American College of Cardiology, and that helped us navigate and make better decisions because we have firm numbers now saying, you risk a certain percent, you need to be on aspirin and a statin, take your blood pressure medicine. We could convince the patient by showing firm numbers. So the data you can leverage to mm -hmm. educate the, the consumer. Yes, exactly. But today, physicians, we hear this across the board, you know, they're having to go to a separate website, enter data into a calculator, get a risk a calculator. score. calculator. <laughs> Literally, an online calculator. Yeah. Well, at least the abacus has been put to bed. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe. not. Um, 
So I think being able to streamline that, right? The desire and the motivation is there by clinicians. They want to do the best thing for their patients. Um, our challenge is how do we make that really easy to do the best thing for their patient? And then having kind of a medical background and a business background probably helped you bridge that gap a little more efficiently than some other firms out there, you think? Yeah, I mean, I think Hival's point of, you know, understanding the end user's needs, whether that end user is a clinician or a patient, you know, the needs are a bit different, but um, we have a lot of clinicians on the team at Remedy because we feel really strongly that point of view has been missing in some of the previous health technologies. So now when you have the physicians on board and you are kind of trying to solve a problem for them that also solves a problem for the patient, um, how do you incorporate kind of all their great ideas? Because I'm sure they have a lot of opinions and ideas. Um, it, you know, I mean, that's that's the fun part of my job, getting to go out to so clinicians. So prioritizing? And, yeah, the, yeah. I mean, we look for consistency of, you know, mm -hmm. requests and feedback. And, and usually that converges pretty quickly if we go out to a group of clinicians and say, what's missing here? What do you, you know, what could you do in, in a dream world? What would you right. have? And then you kind of can build to that, and then you know that the patient's going to be served if you can get the doctor to actually tell them about it and use the... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you ask every physician in the world, end of the day of every clinic, and tell them, what do you wish you have something? And everyone has maybe like five ideas. I wish the computer did this for me. I wish this. I have a simple example. I told Lucy like, that sometimes the patient are eligible for certain medication, but you have to make sure the insurance company get all the requirement and fill all these applications and make sure the patient like actually is eligible for it. I wish there was an app or a technology to say, hey, your patient needs to get a better medication and here's the way you just have to submit two clicks and it will submit it to the insurance and they have all the information for the patient to get the medicine. Instead of spending hours for letters and writing emails, we could standardize the process that a patient could get better medicine and the insurance could be working with us too. So, so. So now, um, when you are getting the um, the patient on board and it's all working the way that you want it, so are you seeing the outcomes that you anticipated? Like, are the patients getting improving their quality of life and getting better? Yeah, I mean, we it, maybe I'll talk about our experience, and then um, Haval has done a lot of work uh, looking at the literature and writing about this in the academic setting, but. You know, in our experience, it's not just the better patient outcomes, and we're seeing that, right? Better outcomes in diabetes in terms of glucose control. We've been working in heart failure and been able to show we can keep people out of the hospital. Um, but also a better experience, right? That's a big part of it, of mm -hmm. how do we make healthcare a more <clears throat> sort of consumer experience where, you know, you're not asked to take half a day off of work, drive across town, pay for parking, wait 45 minutes in the waiting room, wait another 30 minutes in the exam room to have a five-minute conversation with your doctor. Right. right? It makes no sense. So, um, Well, I would imagine that scenario is difficult for the lower-income people to even attempt this. They're going to not do that at go, right? They're not even going to... Yeah, and you know, and you see in every other district, like mobile technology is actually serving the underserved the most. Like applying for jobs, mm -hmm. most people now actually find jobs through their phones. Like you know, doing all their finances through. Even in Africa, people are using their phone to do payments. So, when it comes to serving the underserved, I think mobile technology needs to be upfront, like because it's, a, it's accessible and everyone has access to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and to that end, we are um, we announced last month, and we're kicking off in uh, January, 
a body of work with CVS uh, Health in a partnership focused specifically on underserved communities here in Atlanta and how we merge the mobile technology with the local pharmacy in the community where people are already going to buy their bread and milk and eggs. And they're there a lot more than they're ever going to be in a healthcare clinic. Right. And so, you know, how do we meet people where they are, um, both on their phone and in their community, to really address their health needs and not ask of them unreasonable requests. I mean, for somebody maybe who has two jobs, who doesn't have childcare, who doesn't have transportation, it's a lot to ask that if you want help with your health, you have to come see me in a clinic. And for half a day that you're not going to get paid. Right. So now when, so how does it work? So I'm this underserved person and I have a heart problem and I'm using this remedy solution. What, what's it like for my experience? What happens? Um, so say the heart failure example, we send out uh, cellular enabled scales to the home. So you get a scale in the mail, you just take it out of the box, you put it on the kitchen floor, you weigh yourself every day. If the nurses at your clinic, at your doctor's office notice a change that's concerning, they can call you, they can text message you to get more information to figure out if they need to change your medication or if they need you to come in. So is it one of those bioimpedance skills? Is checking my body fat, or is it just my weight? Is that the only In that example, just weight. And one of the things we're working with Havalon is looking at heart failure, you know, and what else can we do as early indicators of people's heart failure worsening. So then what are some of the possibilities, not just the scale and weight? Well, I mean, you know, patient could report also, like, how their baseline shortness of breath, leg swelling, and taking all this information and kind of like guiding the patient that, for example, if you have a heart failure patient, that means you have too much fluid in your body and your heart is not pumping enough. Blood is not working the way it's supposed to, so fluid builds up in your body. So if the patient is like, let's say, ate extra salt over the weekend, not watching it die, they could build more fluid. And over time, the medicine might not work anymore, so they end up in the hospital. But there's a period where you could guide the patient and say, hey, for the next two days, because your weight went up by three pounds over two days, you could take extra of your medicine for two, three days and see if it got better. Because that's a period where you could save the patient from going to the emergency room and kind of guide them on their management. So you could be more proactive based exactly. on that data. And yeah, and there's an algorithm you could tell the patient, hey, your weight went up by four pounds over three days. Obviously, it's not from eating too much. It's fluid. So you might be interested in like following your doctor's recommendation of two days of extra diuretics. Mm -hmm. But that's hard if the patient has to call the doctor's office. Get or hold physically of, go in. Exactly. Right. I mean, to get hold of someone, the computer or the technology could, I mean, a mobile app could help them be more proactive. Now, what about um, like a, one of these exercise things that keep track of my heart rate? Is that something that you can leverage as well? It, yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the unique things we're doing at Remedy is sort of applying the right technology to the right use case um, because we do have all these great self-monitoring technologies, you know, the heart rate monitor and activity monitor and connected scales. But it's it's not a one-size-fits-all, you know, scenario. These different diseases, whether it's diabetes or heart failure or hypertension or fatty liver disease, all have their own unique characteristics. So we really get into the details of sort of what are the right measurements for each of these diseases and let's only give the patient what they need and not ask them to do things that actually aren't going to be meaningful. Right. Now, and the reason to go after kind of these um, cardiometabolic states are that 
that's where all the cost is in healthcare, or a lot of the cost? Is that part of the thinking? Well, I mean, it's one of the major drivers of mortality, right? Mm-hmm. Is I mean, if you if you go to any party and ask someone, does anyone have any heart disease or know someone of a heart disease, everyone raised their hand. So it's a very common problem. Mm-hmm. But we also, like I went to a couple of weeks ago to this one conference, and someone really was a guy who wasn't a doctor. He was a big foundation owner. He said, we need to fix a simple problem. We need to address diabetes, hypertension, hypercholesterol, and focus on those first before we find new drugs or anything more innovative. We need to use technology to address those issues. And I think that's the problem because, I mean, number one killer in the world right now is heart disease. We know that. And everyone here knows someone of their family members affected. So I think that's a big, the big elephant in the room, but it's kind of sometimes gets ignored. So it's not sexy. It's not a new kind of uh, disease of the month. We're not doing the basics well. I mean, that's the problem, right? And this helps do the basics better. Remedy helps solve these problems that affect a large population. And I think that, you know, the way you get there for each patient is going to be a little different. And that's what we help with Mm -hmm. is it may all be the same outcome. We're trying to prevent cardiac events. We're trying to prevent stroke in these patients. But the way that we prevent that for any individual is different, right? So for a person who has diabetes and they're using our diabetes monitoring solution and our decision support, that's the most impactful thing for that patient versus we're doing a lot of work. I mentioned fatty liver disease, um, which has sort of been flying under the radar but affects 35 to 40% of the U.S. population. Um, And again, the outcomes there are still going to be cardiovascular and liver failure and those, that set of patients who that's how they're manifesting their cardiometabolic disease, they need to focus on weight loss and activity. There are mm-hmm. no drugs on the market yet. Um, as drugs come to market, we can help make physicians aware of tr- new treatment opportunities. So it's a lot of sort of driving personalization into the medical decision making by giving docs the data and the analytics they need. And it's giving the patient the tools that they already probably have. Right, it's whether it's right. a phone or a integrate the tool in one app. You know? Right, I mean, you guys being a business radio, like right now, medicine for twenty years was like every time you intervene on the patient, you charge the patient. Right, that's how the model worked. But now it's changing. Now all the insurance company in Medicare America is saying, in a couple of years, going to be like this. Here's a medical problem. This is how much money you could get from us for this medical problem. So it's up to you to reduce the cost and the outcome. So now the incentive for physician and hospital system going to be. How can we make sure the patient gets all the medicine so they don't end up back in the hospital and we get charged for this because we can't make more any more money on this disease process anymore? So it's going to cap, which I think is great for the patient and also great for technology coming in now saying we need to save money by preventing the patient from getting sicker because back in the days it was like every time he got stent, you charged it. Right, and if they got sick, well, then they just come back. Exactly. Yeah. And the hospital would right. charge for them. But now time. it's not anymore. It's going to be like, so now it's going to really create a great incentive for making profit by actually reducing outcome. By getting the patient better. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there are crazy, crazy things that we still do in healthcare, like this time of year. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you see patients like this who are in the gap. So they might be a patient with diabetes on insulin, and they can't get their insulin for the... Because they used up all their... Because they used mm-hmm. up their benefit. For their insurance. Yeah. And like, what kind of sense does that make, right? Nobody anyway, would design that so system on purpose. Wait two weeks, and we can give you at the start of the year. Right. Like, so that's the thinking. 
that's best thinking right now. And then they end up in a hospital with a DK, which is a severe <laughs> right. form of diabetes, and that's like almost twenty thousand dollar. Like if that's just a regular DK, this right. admission. Think about it. I mean, that's crazy for like a two hundred dollar like medicine that he could get for that month. And then um, is that because of does? Is there the standardization, or is that a, a dream that we're waiting to have happen where there are standardized, you mentioned standardization earlier. Uh, I mean, it's communication. is not, you know, and patient not feeling they have the tools to be engaged mm -hmm. and simplify the tool that they could be engaged. I, I mean, I just... I just look at the, you know, finance, how we went from cash to credit card now to online payment, like use your phone to pay without the credit card. And they forced the, the, the provider and everyone else to f adopt that. We in the medicine, we have to do that same thing. Like we need to get the patient engaged out of that 15 minute visit in the doctor's office. Mm -hmm. We just need to trust that. Like we're like, you, know, you are the patient, you need to be more engaged with us. So now for you, what has been the most rewarding uh, part of your participation with Remedy? It's just like, you know, the innovation part is uh, I'm still in my training, so I'm still like, I think I know how technology mm -hmm. better than a lot of my attendings, my, my, my seniors, because they always ask me to do things for them. So I think it's just a great thing for a younger physician to be involved in tech world. We have the perception I need to be like 60 years old, publish 300 mm -hmm. papers right. to give some advice. But if you look at the tech world, it's like the most, you know, look at Facebook guy and YouTube guy, they're all young guys who just came with it. And I think we need to treat medicine the same way. We need to be upfront with the technology people like Remedy and them saying, hey, this is the issue we deal with in our training. And next year, we're going to be the physician you're dealing with. Can we address some of these issues? And, and you could see the real impact this could make. Exactly. And it's, and also besides the Remedy team has been great to like even just come in and get their hand dirty with the underserved community. I mean, mm -hmm. Lucine and her husband have been very involved with the refugee community and the immigrant community in Clarkston. So they see some of the issue, not only just in the clinic, but also in the social work aspect of in it. In the real world. Right. Exactly. So. so now, Lucy, why ATDC? What was the thinking... To, yeah, know. I mean, I you know, it's um, building a small company is hard, lonely work at times, and so it's great to be well, part. You got of all these people around you, that <laughs> smart and engaged and passionate. Every day is not like today, <laughs> um, you know, and so it's great to be around a community like this of um, peers, other companies going through similar challenges, uh, great advisors and resources we have here. So. ATDC has been a terrific home for us. Now, um, a lot of people say one of their favorite parts are the collisions where you meet other kind of ex CEOs or people kind of going through similar things, that, but in disparate industries. Have, have you kind of benefited from any of that kind of impromptu conversations or advice? Yeah, yeah. So every Friday <clears throat> we have a lunch uh, with CEOs, whoever can make it. And we sort of share those common experiences, um, and it's across industries, right? It's not healthcare specific right. because really at the business level, we're all doing the same things, and it's really helpful to have someone else say, I've been through that, this is how I handled it, um, or I, this is how I handled it, and that, that didn't work very well. I right. wouldn't Don't suggest that. that. Again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that we all try to avoid repeating each other's mistakes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then uh, for you, Haval, um, being involved in the startup, this is a dream of yours, but when you were younger, that you thought at some point I would kind of get involved in this, or you were just always focusing on, on doctoring? It's been my secret dream, not telling my, my <laughs> medical world, because, you know, in medicine, you're on this treadmill, like medical school, residency, right. fellowship, and being a physician, then 
and everyone just like focus one on one focus you know so when they tell him when you tell someone i want to do something else they're like no no stay focused right, on you're, what you're so far in so it's been right. on my secret in the background working on this and reading upon it and you know learning the tools and now when i met you know was seeing it was a, like you know easier to understand like now the real world perspective of things and that's one thing i want to integrate part of my practice like you know be able to be involved and available to start up to kind of give them the insight about our daily work with the physician because I think that's if you try to address the problem on a daily basis your customers are the people who are working with those patients trying to address the issue so a physician could be up front and I'm always making myself available to people like Lucina and others to help them out and navigate some of the problems. Any advice to other doctors that might be thinking about getting involved with a startup or a new company? It's fun you know you never know mm-hmm. where it takes you you know like you meet a lot of smart people outside of your field and it kind of open up your eyes every day when you go back to practice like you know there's a problem there and i know the right people can maybe fix this and it could be another idea for another startup Mm -hmm. so it kind of gets you involved with people who do these kind of things good stuff well lucy thank you so much for being part of the show if somebody wants to learn more about remedy what's the best way to get a hold of you guys uh remedy.com r-i-m-i-d-i.com good stuff well thank you both for sharing your story Thank you. you. All right. This is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We'll see you all next time on ATDC Radio.